What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. We need to believe we have the right to claim space. Claiming space is living your life unapologetically and bravely. And it sounds so much easier than it is. Eliza Van Court knows that from deeply personal experience. She considers claiming space with her body and voice one of the most challenging and yet transformative experiences of her life. When I was very young, I had a mother who became paranoid schizophrenic, and she actually kidnapped me three times. There was a national APB out on me, and one time we went across the country by truck, from truck stop to truck stop to truck stop, and there was a lot of trauma involved in that, and at that point in my life, I started conflating invisibility with safety, and women are already told to be small. So you add that extra layer on it. And I started out, I think, at a bit of a deficit in terms of claiming space. And that's why I feel so passionately about it. Because for me, the process of learning how was so transformative. She wrote about those experiences in her new book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, Stand Tall, Raise Your Voice, Be Heard. By the time she turned five, she wrote, she was a hesitant, scared little girl who spent a lot of her time alone hunched over, quietly hiding behind her long curtain of thick, wavy black hair. She said her body image was like a neon sign that read, quote, I'm really scared and I'm damaged. Please pretend I'm invisible. That bit broke my heart. As she approached puberty and the body changes that came with it, she worked hard to hide those shifts, as so many folks do. In her case, she tried to appear more flat than curvy and shorter than the boys. I was skinny. I mean, I was as skinny as a rail. And I was shooting up like a string bean, as my parents would say. And suddenly I started getting breasts and I felt like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. I just felt like, I was like, wait a minute, these are, it happened really fast. (laughs) And I started to have, as I say in the book, I started having these fantasies that I'd be walking down the hallway one day and the weight of my breasts would just make me fall over and all my books would go flying and all my hopes of being cool would go flying along with it. I've heard from so many people who had similar insecurities around that age, feeling too flat or too curvy, too thick or too thin, too tall, too short, too fill in the blank. And trying to hide or change how we look through posture, Eliza said, doesn't really help. When we're young, we get to this place, I think women, where we start growing these appendages, which we can't control. We can move our arms, but we can't move our boobs. You know what I mean? So what we end up doing, I think, of many women is thinking if we slump enough, we will then be able to hide our said breasts. And it doesn't do anything. You just look like someone with breasts who are slumping. So what I found is that when people stand up straight and they present in a way where they are actually literally commanding space with their body, 
they are given more respect. And so I feel that a lot of times when we talk about empowerment, we don't talk about the bedrock of it, which is how are you presenting to the world? That made me think of Amy Cuddy, a social psychologist who did a TED Talk called Your Body Language May Shape Who You Are. She analyzed over 55 studies and she found a huge link between posture and feelings of power. You might have heard about the superwoman power poses she encourages for near-instant self-confidence boosts. There was even a Grey's Anatomy storyline about them, where character Dr. Amelia Shepard starts putting her hands on her hips in superhero fashion before difficult surgeries. I've actually tried that myself before a few nerve-wracking interviews, and it really does seem to help. I bet it could help before butterflyzy dates and sexual experiences, too. Eliza's turning point with her own posture came during an acting class. I remember my teacher, Phil Gushy, rest in peace, brilliant teacher, told this story about one of his students who was doing the hunchback of Notre Dame. And what he did is he put a big hunch on his shoulder, a big bump, put over, put a trench coat on it and started walking around the city and making eye contact with people. And by the end of the day, he was slumping more and his eyes were downcast because of how people were responding to him. And then that was the first beginning of this, my wheels sort of turning. And then I started watching this thing called physical adjustments in the Meisner technique, which I teach, which is if you move one little part of your body, it can have the systemic effect on how everything in your body moves, but it also has an effect on how people treat you. So I would watch certain people who in real life are quite confident, do an adjustment where they would slump over and they'd go up and do an improv and people treated them differently. And so I started thinking, you know, I can use this outside of this class. So I started one day, I remember walking around, standing up really straight and looking at, you know, looking at the way I was received. It was different. I was catcalled less. I mean, it was a radical difference. And that's when I realized part of empowerment is how you present. Eliza recommends working on your posture for five minutes a day as a helpful practice to start claiming space in all areas of your life. One exercise she recommends in her book involves lying down on a mat or a few towels on the floor, bending your knees and activating your core. As you start practicing better posture, she suggests noticing and addressing harmful habits, such as staring down at your phone or sitting hunched over a computer for hours on end without breaks. She also recommends trading high heels, if you wear them, for flats. Heels can shift our alignment in wonky ways, especially the longer we stand or walk in them. Of course, not everyone can stand tall or at all or place their hands on their hips. In cultures like the U.S., we tend to give more respect and power to people who have particular height, body forms, and postures, which isn't cool. While Eliza doesn't talk about physical disabilities and the like in her book, I really appreciate that she talks about creating spaces in which all folks are welcome, including people in marginalized groups, as an important part of claiming space. That should apply to our sex lives and relationships, too. Sexiness and sexuality are inherent. We don't have to look or carry ourselves a certain way to earn that. Another part of sexual empowerment and claiming space is understanding the harmful myths we absorb. 
such as that men are supposed to be turned on all the time, approach sex as a conquest, and not be too emotional or caring, unless you're gay, in which case you're considered overly emotional and incapable of commitment. And as you know from past episodes, the whole lesbian bed death thing, that stereotype is false too. And there's still a lot of pressure on women to be sexy and sexual in certain ways, not have too many partners, whatever that means, and to need emotional connections to be turned on, which can be the case if you're demisexual, but that has nothing to do with gender. One historical problem Eliza feels is especially important to do away with is slut-shaming. Slut-shaming has been around since the Scarlet Letter and, and beforehand, and we it's a really great way to control women. And I think that one of the things we can do to interrupt those moments is when you hear someone saying anything that is slut-shaming, you immediately jump in and you don't let it stand. In other words, let others claim space around their own sexuality however they see fit. I really think that translates into permission and comfort with ourselves too. It's also important to look back on early messages we received about non-sexual behavior. When we were allowed or not allowed, to claim space in ways we have felt comfortable. This is a metaphor, but for me, it all goes back to Uncle Bob. And there's that moment when you're little, where you're a little girl and your parents say, go kiss Uncle Bob. And you go, I don't want to. And they go, no, no, come on, come on, go kiss Uncle Bob. And you say, I don't want to. And the room gets quiet and you look around and all the adults are looking at you and your parents are embarrassed and they, you know, and they say, do it. And you walk over and you kiss Uncle Bob. And in that moment, you start to learn that what your gut is telling you is wrong. And then you you keep getting that message over and over and over again. So rarely do we hear from parents if a kid says, I don't want to. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry I asked you to kiss someone. That should be your decision. You don't hear that. Uh, What you hear is go kiss Uncle Bob. So the first thing is, as parents, you know, don't do that. Make sure you're honoring your kid and making sure that they are always in control of their body. But as we get older, those boundaries are continually broken and often people don't step in. So for example, there's a client I had, and actually this has happened to many of us, where you walk in for an interview and the the man might put his hand on the small of your back and you look around and think, why is no one saying anything? And then you think, I must be overreacting. Eliza told me there are all of these moments, especially for folks reared as girls, where you don't have agency and there's this trickle over effect from childhood messages that so many of us learned, including that man in the boardroom who learned that it's fine to touch women in ways he wouldn't touch anyone else. Then there's another type of happening that Eliza described as even more dangerous. I remember once I was hanging out with this little boy, I was in love with him. I wanted to marry this little boy. And he was sitting there and he said, you're so pretty. And then he punched me because he felt insecure. And I was like, what? This is wrong. So I ran to his mom's house. I was ready to get him grounded for life. I'm running. He's booking after me. We get to the front porch. His mom comes out and she says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I say, you know, so-and-so hit me. And she said, oh, Eliza, he hit you because he likes you. And in that moment, that's the moment 
besides Uncle Bob, where it goes to another level where you realize it's okay for somebody to hit me as long as they like me. So when we start to learn these boundaries, you know, yes, we have boundaries at work and all those things, but fundamentally the first boundary is our personhood. Who is allowed to touch us and who isn't and where and how. And from the beginning of girlhood, we are taught to stop listening to that gut in us. And so it takes a lot of time to dismantle that training. Even when we know that that's the case, it can be hard to set and maintain boundaries and to stand up for what we really want or don't want during sex, in relationships, and really in all life areas. That's one reason Eliza shared scripts for responding to situations that can feel uncomfortable in her book. Here's one example. Person, I know you have never ever wanted our sex life not to involve insert sex thing that really is your thing. You don't have to qualify it. It's your thing. But that seems really slutty. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You. No. Optional unapologetic follow-up. I know this isn't your thing, and of course, we will never do anything we both don't really want to do. But if you continue to shame me about my preferences around sex, I'm out. If you're thinking, wow, that first response, just saying no, sounds so simple. And at the same time, you're wondering why that can also feel really tough in the moment. Go easy on yourself. It's not your fault. People raised as girls, as well as anyone who's endured childhood abuse, often struggle a lot in this area. Gender messaging alone can make this stuff really complicated. Well, women are taught to accommodate in so many different ways. We are literally trained to be nurturers. And they've done incredible studies where they put a boy baby in pink and a girl baby in blue. And suddenly the girl, the the one they think is a girl is holding a doll. And the one they think is a boy is doing all these things that actually help you develop a part of your brain that is more mechanically oriented visual spatial things. So we are literally trained since infancy to, to do that. And part of that is saying no is not nurturing. It's about us. Whereas taking care of others, right? Nurturing is all other focused. And so that no is so powerful because we're saying, if you ask me to do something that I'm not okay with, I don't need to take care of your needs. I need to take care of my needs. And my need is no. And the other thing is often we are, because of that nurturing training, we feel we have to explain it. We have to say, and the reason why I don't want to do this is blah, 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 blah. You don't have to explain to anyone why you don't want to do something or why you do. You can say, I think we should do this crazy thing in bed. And your partner can say no. And you just have to say Okay, you don't have to never, never, never say why. It doesn't matter. It's all about personal choice. If you want to claim space and feel more confident during sex, Eliza shared this advice. Firstly, don't have sex with people who shame you. That, that's truly the first step, because if you do, it, everything else is pretty much impossible. So that's a baseline. Make sure you're having sex with people who are honoring your sexuality, honoring your no, honoring your choices. And... Then the second thing would be, don't be afraid to communicate your needs. Because if you're with somebody who doesn't want you to do that, you shouldn't be with them anyway. So say what you want. Of course, they don't have to do it, but that's okay too. It's okay for someone to say no to you, you know? And then finally, I mean, I love the imagination. 
I spent a lot of time in my imagination as a little girl because my, my world wasn't so great. And I think the imagination isn't really important to me. Sex is the one place where adults get to play make-believe if they're not actors. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you get to play. So use your imagination and really explore. And my mother used to say to me, Eliza, if you're bored, you just look out the window and daydream. If you're bored in your class, you just look out the window and you daydream, honey. She was a poet. She was a poet and an English teacher. I think people should look out the window and daydream about sex and really think, what would I do if I didn't have to worry about someone judging me? Because the partner you want to be with is the one who says, hopefully is compatible with you and you like the same kind of thing. And the, that person says, let's give it a try. You know, and if they don't, maybe they're just not the right partner. Doesn't mean it's wrong. That just means it's not their thing. But hopefully you can find somebody who's compatible with the imaginative play that you want to do. To learn more from Eliza Van Court, find her book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, Most Anywhere Books Are Sold. It's divided into five areas, physicality and voice, collaborative claiming space, never ceding your space, how to protect yourself from aggressors, and intersectionality. Learn more about her work as a speaker, mentor, and unapologetic space claimer at elizavancourt.com. To hear a bonus segment about the traumatic brain injury that led Eliza to write her book and what she decided to teach her kids about masturbation, join my Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash girlboner. You'll also get access to an episode archive of old girlboner episodes that you can no longer hear anywhere else and more. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash girlboner. I'm sure none of you will be surprised to hear that one of my favorite ways to claim your rightful space during sex and in other areas of your life is learning about your own body and what feels good through, yes, solo play. As it so happens, May is National Masturbation Month here in the U.S., making it an especially great time to enjoy it. For a bit of history, the month was coined by Good Vibrations back in 1995. After Surgeon General Dr. Joycelyn Elders, the first black woman to serve in that role, was fired for saying that masturbation was something, quote, that perhaps should be taught in the context of sexual health information. The staff at Good Vibrations were understandably peeved by this, and they launched Masturbatathons, raising money for nonprofits. Since then, many sex-positive companies and folks have joined in celebrating the month in all sorts of ways. To make the most of your solo play sessions, I highly recommend adding toys and lube to the mix, all of which you can find in huge supply at The Pleasure Chest. The Sex Positive Superstore is celebrating Masturbation Month with featured vibrators, magic wands, cock rings, masturbation sleeves, strokers, anal plugs, and more to enhance all the ways you do you. Right now, they are featuring curated sexy self-care and mindful masturbation collections. Learn more and start shopping at thepleasurechest.com or click the link down in the show notes. Now, Dr. Megan Fleming's Pleasure Picks for May, 
including four awesome products she recommends and some of her top solo play tips for more fun and pleasure. I am thrilled to be promoting Masturbation May. So, of course, this month's pleasure picks are all about exploring what you don't yet know about your own pleasure. When it comes to masturbation, it's not uncommon that individuals can spend their entire lives doing the exact same thing. Why? Well, because it works, of course, and it's a tried and true way to orgasm every time. So I want to just start by saying I get it. I completely get it. And until I was a sex therapist for almost a decade, I would say, I too wasn't exploring and expanding new ways to feel pleasure in my body. That said, anyone listening to Girl Boner knows one of my favorite expressions is that you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. So when's the last time you tried something new? Because when it comes to pleasure, I'm all about knowing and owning your own, which means, of course, exploring and adding new tools to your toolbox. Whether you're a vulva or a prostate owner, I'm inviting you to explore your pleasure and new ways to feel pleasure this masturbation may. My number one. For those of you who might be struggling with desire to even know and own the value of pleasure and masturbation practices, you first have to get your own sexy back. So my first recommendation is my personal Rekindle Your Desire, a 60-minute self-help therapy audio program and workbook. Number two. Oh my God, yes. This program is based on what science says about women's pleasure, and over 20,000 women have participated in research at the Kinsey Institute. This program literally visually teaches you practical techniques to enhance clitoral pleasure solo or as a couple with 60 short videos and 12 touchable simulations of orgasm-inducing practices. So as I said, oh my God, yes. Number three, blended orgasms and new tech. So if you haven't yet tried Laura DiCarlo's OSE, which was awarded the CES 2019 Innovation Award winner for Outstanding Design and Engineering in Consumer Tech Products. The Osei is the first massager that uses robotics and mimics human touch by stimulating the G-spot and the clitoris at the same time. Number three, for men, there's also new tech, the Airwave Arc. Now I can tell you my husband tried this for me to write a review, and generally he's had the mindset of like, uh, when it came to male masturbators, what for? Because of course he has his own hand. Well, let me just tell you, when he met the new tech, he was blown away by the sensation and experience. He's now a convert and willing participant in exploring new options of any male masturbators and sex toys. The ArcWave is the world's first pleasure air stroker, similar to the tech in a womanizer, for men to experience an orgasm that comes from the unique pulsating airwaves that stimulate the most sensitive pleasure receptors in the frenulum. And number four, last but not least, Lilo's Hugo Prostate Massager, known for the most powerful orgasm to man. This is a remote-controlled prostate massager, and its form is perfected for bigger, better, and even hands-free orgasms. So in summary, let me just say that whether you're using your hand in a new way or trying a new pattern of arousal or even a new toy, My number one thing is generally you only add in the new once you're already highly aroused, sort of with your favorite go-to masturbation technique or practice. And number two, my expression is try, try again. Because the first time we try anything new, we are observing ourselves. We are spectating, checking in, sort of in our heads. How is it going? How am I feeling or not feeling? We're sort of in an intellectual and not in our bodies. 
So to quiet the mind and relax into the new sensations, my recommendation is always try, try again. For more details and to purchase any or all of this month's masturbation pleasure picks, go to my website, greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure picks. As always, here's to your pleasure. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. Again, you can check out more of her pleasure picks at greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure picks or click the link down in the show notes. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review and let your friends know about it. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>